This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Free your mind! Sex worker, and yes, it does. Sex worker, wedge, bow, metal, mind. Listen up close while I take it backwards. Oh, guy, begins to gather to me, which I want. I'm not a proxy. Sex worker, but I can give you what you want. Sex worker, damn it. Get some. Tuned in to the Vixen Hour. Sex workers setting the record straight on Australia's first gay and lesbian radio station, Joy 94.9. Red Umbrella Radio. That's right, you have tuned into the Vixen Hour. The Vixen Hour is your weekly radio show that explores life issues and the world from a sex worker's perspective. This is your opportunity to challenge the stereotypes and prejudice that you may have about sex work and hear from the actual voices of sex workers ourselves. We are out loud and proud. This is the only community radio program in the world that is both publicly broadcasted directly to your radios and available online all the time, as well as being able to be downloaded via podcast that is 100% produced and presented by sex workers. Turn it up. All discussions presented on Vixen Hour are made in the interest of community information and are not intended to induce any individual to seek employment in the sex industry. For more information in this area, we recommend individuals to get in contact with their local sex work organisation. The Vixen Hour. Everyone has an opinion about sex work. Make yours an informed one. Joy 94.9. If at any point you would like to join in on the conversation, you can do so by sending us a text message on 0427-569-949. That's 0427-JOIN-949. Giving us a phone call on 1300-JOIN-949. That's 1300-569-949. Or sending us an email at onair at joy.org.au. It would be totally awesome to hear from you. The theme for tonight's show is the the right of reply. What happens when sex workers get slagged off in the media. How does it feel? What's the impact on us? What does it mean to our community? And what can sex workers do to actually push back and respond to that? So on tonight's show, we'll be hearing from Lara, a sex worker who's recently been involved in an interaction that has taken place on social media. And we'll hear what what that experience has been like. We'll also get an opportunity to meet her in a minute. But I want to welcome our co-hosts to the studio. We have the fabulous Jane. Hi, Jane. Hello. Good to be back. Yay, it's awesome to have you back. So we met Jane on previous Vixen Hours, (laughs) talking about all sorts of topics like the media and stigma and the experience of sex workers through that. So we'll be talking a bit about that later on in the show, and I'm really looking forward to it, to catching up on on that project. And as always, we welcome the fabulous Anastasia. Hi, Anastasia. Hi, Christian. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. Yay. So this is going to be a pretty awesome topic. If you would like to 
interact with the show, as we said, send us a text message, 0427-569-949. Always welcome questions, and it would be fabulous to hear from you. But speaking of hearing from some fabulousness, we're going to hear from... We did catch up with Lara earlier in the week, and I got to have a chat with her, so I thought I would play that little introduction to her. This is my conversation with Lara. You're in the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. You're with Christian and I'm speaking to the fabulous Lara Bell. Hi, Lara. Hi, Christian. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm fantastic. All the better for speaking with you. Ah, and you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here on the Vixen Hour, every time we do have a new sex worker on the show, we do like to spend a few moments just getting to know them because, you know, for a really long time, people haven't gotten to know sex workers. So we do spend the first part of our show humanising the voice behind sex workers. So, the fabulous Lara Bell, how would you introduce yourself? Well, um, I'm Lara and I'm a private worker. I work in Sydney, South Wales, and I've been working in the industry for coming up to 13 years now. Wow. And yeah, yeah, and I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's fantastic. And um, so, so, you're based in Sydney? Yeah. And have you worked in anywhere? Have you worked anywhere else around Australia? Um, I've worked in Melbourne, mm-hmm. so I, I, I've worked in brothels as, as well, and I've worked for a short time in a parlour in Melbourne, and I've also toured in Melbourne as well mm-hmm. while I've been a private worker. Yeah, fantastic. And here in the Vixen Hour, every time we do have a new sex worker on, we do ask them, well, how do they define sex work for themselves? Recognizing that each person sort of has a different definition of it, and um, so to apply one definition to everyone is a bit problematic. So we do ask everyone, well, how do you define sex work? I guess for me, sex work is a few things. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's work, it's legitimate work. Mm-hmm. It's how I live. Yep. And you know, use a range of skills in the course of my job and part of those skills are of erotic nature. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the base nature of it. But it's also part of who I am. Mm-hmm. I think it forms a part of my identity and it's a part of me. It's something that feels really natural mm-hmm. and also, I get a lot of sense of community from my work. So I have what I see as my sort of sex work family <laughs> sort of thing. And um, we've got a beautiful sense of com- community and solidarity in sex work, which I love. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, so it's kind of got those assets to it. So, Lara, you said you spoke about uh, like having a sex work family, that sex work is mm-hmm. a community for you. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you connect to other sex workers? I have quite a wide network now, which is fantastic. So through um, through social media, we have a lot of ways of connecting with each other. So on Facebook, I'm part of some groups that allow us to sort of network and, and offer peer support and just get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And then through Twitter as well, we can kind of connect that way. Yep. And obviously in person as well, we rearrange get-togethers and, and meet-ups. And then there's things like the Festival of Sex Work and, and those sorts of events that, that we attend and hang out together there, which is really lovely. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. Um, I, was, I was going to ask you, you've been doing sex work now for, for about 10 years, you said. Um, 13 nearly. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're like me. I, for me, it's, 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 it, it, it is over 10 years. And yeah. You kind of look back and go, wow, did I really do it for that long? <laughs> And and one one of the um one of the things that I've noticed is that my understanding of sex work has changed all throughout that time. So mm-hmm. from before I started to doing it, I'm just wondering, before you started to do sex work, do you remember what what you thought it would be like, and was it different? I think I, I don't know that I had very many expectations when I started. I just kind of when I remember the very first day I started, I just felt 
comfortable. I just felt like I fit in mm-hmm. and that was a really great feeling. And then as time's gone on, I think it has, that identity that I was talking about before has developed more and more as I've, you know, gained more of an understanding about sex work in a wider context, mm-hmm. like in social context and political context and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, I think I've learned to value sex work more as I've explored it and, and learned what it is for me. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what I love about it is being able to sort of just kindness and, you know, compassion and acceptance in my job every day. Mm-hmm. And so much, you know, that's sort of such a big part of sex work. So yeah. I guess at the beginning I, I saw it as a as a physical job mm-hmm. and as a service, a physical service. But now I understand it to be so much more than that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's, re- it's really amazing to hear because I'm, you know, I'm so passionate about sex work that I put a whole radio show together for <laughs> So I can totally relate to what yeah. you're talking about. And, and you talked about how, you know, the, um, learning about sex work within sort of a social and political context. I'm wondering if you could share something that you've learned about sex work in that way and how, how you've come to understand it and its place, I guess, in our social context. I guess that through my own experiences uh, in terms of coming out to people, whether it's a health professional, which is the first person I ever came out to was my GP, mm-hmm. and I burst into tears oh. <laughs> telling him I thought it was, you know, he was going to be horrified and he didn't care at all. Mm-hmm. And then along with that, seeing the reactions of other people, seeing the community's kind of point of sex work mm-hmm. forms that kind of um, view that I that I have. And so I guess I've learned that the way people see sex work and the way that sex work really is for me, from, from my experience, completely different mm-hmm. and also that there's as I was saying before the solidarity that I've that I've witnessed that there's sort of there's this foundation in sex work that's sort of so strong and mm-hmm. there's some really you know, strong passionate voices within the industry and and learning about whorephobia and all those sorts of things mm-hmm. has been really important really yeah really interesting learning curve <laughs> yeah yeah uh, absolutely. And you're right. It, there, there are so many really strong and passionate voices out there. And I'm glad that, um, you know, on this show, we get to introduce the listener to one more of those. And that is you. So, um, so <laughs> thank, thank you. you for being part of the Vixen Hour. Um, pleasure. <laughs> we've got to go to some messages now, but we'll be back. You're on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. We're totally bent for your listening pleasure. Joy 94.9. I'm Dr. Brooke Mignanti, formerly known as Belle du Jour, and you're listening to The Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9. You are listening to The Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. You're with Christian, and I'm joined by the fabulous Jane. Hello, Jane. Hello again. And the ever so wonderful Anastasia. Hi, Anastasia. Hi, Christian. (laughs) We are talking about sex work, the media, stigma, there is therein and also taking on that stigma so there's been a a few examples of let's say famous people saying not so favorable things about sex workers in the media and while in the past you know those comments have just slid and you know we just have to put up with them in the media and seeing them in newspapers or on television there have been opportunities for sex workers to respond in like lots of different ways so social media has certainly provided us an opportunity to do that but there have been other ways and examples that sex workers have not only experienced um, stigma but responded to it I'm wondering what you guys think of that issue well look I, I think that current social media provides a really unique opportunity for sex workers both to speak up 
about their own experiences, but also to push back against negative media mm-hmm. and not just to speak up and and talk back about their own experience and debunk negative media, but also to really, through things like like Twitter, connect to the people that are responsible for that negative media and Mm. hold them accountable. And I think that is really a new thing Mm -hmm. through current social media that hasn't been available before, to actually get directly to the people responsible and both talk to them, Mm -hmm. um, but also call them out and hold them accountable Personally, Yeah, and, and it's also a really, I guess, unique opportunity to interact with them on a very direct level. So, yeah, that, so there is a higher level of, I guess, social accountability. Absolutely. So th- and I think that's sort of replicated amongst things like homophobia and racism. Whenever that happens sort of in mainstream media, there is a channel by which people can vent their outrage whenever that happens. And we've certainly seen lots of examples of that. Mm. Um, but sex workers have also used that opportunity to speak up against the particular stigma that affects them. So I think that's been a really that's been a really positive thing. I mean, it's also been a negative thing. It also means that there's opportunity for, I guess, homophobic ideas and stigma to be, I guess, perpetuated through social media as mm. well. But um, I guess because it, it, it does level out the playing field a bit so sex workers can, I guess, jump in and have their say as well. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly feel, feel so. I think it is that phenomenon of levelling the playing field as you said, mm-hmm. that sex workers both have an opportunity to stake a presence mm-hmm. in social media, but also to take that opportunity to directly push back against both the footprint of whorephobia in that space, but also directly against the people responsible. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There have been a few examples that have come up. And have oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's not like people don't notice anymore. No, and, um, and look, I've been on before talking about the research project because I am running a, a research project about whorephobia, specifically in the print media here in Victoria, but I also run the online media project about whorephobia generally. But there are actually sex workers doing a lot of work online capturing whorephobia. And I mean, mm-hmm. certainly the Twitter account whorephobia. <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough. Well, funnily enough, would be uh, an example. And that's run by a group of individual sex workers mm-hmm. um, who put a lot of time and energy into capturing examples of whorephobia online and uh, calling people out over it. Mm-hmm. And I think what I really see in uh, modern social media is is just that it's individual sex worker action, mm-hmm. um, which is so critically important to holding people accountable. And I think there's been some really serious achievements in terms of calling people out and getting things changed and actually getting people to realise the impact of their own actions. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, a, there's examples here in Australia like Sam Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, the comedian who made homophobic comments and actually a joke in mm-hmm. one of his shows that was called out by the sex worker activist Eleanor Jeffries mm-hmm. and that actually came out on Twitter. Yeah. And caused a bit of an event on Twitter. And I think that, that was one of the earlier sort of Twitter storms yeah. around whorephobia here in Australia. And that actually ended up involving both Sam Simmons followers mm-hmm. kicking off and being quite whorephobic mm-hmm. in response to a lot of sex workers that were calling out. Um, Sam Simmons about the incident. But what happened as a result of that was that he apologised. Yeah. And I think that's what you're looking for. You're looking for people to recognise what they've done and mm-hmm. you're looking for change Yeah. as a result. 
Um, I can't say it was the best apology in the world. No. Um, I actually use it as an example mm-hmm. um, in one of my presenta- presentations about, about um, toxic media. But look, um, it was an apology. Yeah. And I think that's important. Yeah, and that's certainly, we've never had apologies like that in the past. And I think um, social media, particularly Twitter, has the capacity to actually build some, I don't know if it builds empathy, but it certainly builds enough understanding to, I guess, elicit things like apologies and positive responses. I mean, there's a lot of negative responses, but you get positive responses as well. I don't know if it builds empathy, but it certainly delivers knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it delivers a space for sex workers where they can present themselves however they like, but there's a possibility for them to present themselves as whole people in public space, mm-hmm. um, not just market themselves as sex workers, which sex workers do really effectively on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and look, I do that as well. But uh, people see everything we do. We're tweeting about our whole lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's important for that aspect too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That that humanising aspect. Another really, I guess, high-profile example of when somebody has committed an acute apophobic <laughs> tweet, perhaps, was the was in May this year, Missy Higgins tweeted something like, I dreamt I fell in love with a prostitute. She was young and I wanted to save her, related to my thoughts about a reality television show. And you just can't make a statement like that without <laughs> expecting people to respond to it. Yeah. So this this one actually got picked up by mainstream news outlets. Like they they actually reported how what the re, what the reaction was like from sex workers, and and it, they reported that you know this sparked furious feedback and people have and the I guess the vocalization that sex workers have had has been a, a quite a unique phenomena that. It does register as news. Yeah, I, I think what amused me about the whole thing was that it got reported, but then the reporting of it itself, I would have categorised as having a slightly whorephobic tone because it came out as ladies of the night unite <laughs> against Missy Higgins. You know what I think? That just, was, you I, can't ever get it right. <laughs> I think that was it. it to, how I sort of interpreted that was that journalist didn't want to make the same mistake Missy Higgins did in terms of using inappropriate language. Don't use the P word, people. But but then said ladies of the night to make up. It makes us sound like Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is weird because the majority of the time I work during the day. Yeah, me too. And I'm not a lady. (laughs) No. So, I mean, I go back to the same thing I always say. And look, I tweet this all the time on the um, sex work stigma in the media on Twitter. Mm -hmm. The UN tells us and the World Health Organization tells us and most importantly, sex workers tell us that we are called sex workers. (laughs) I mean, the term's been around since the 70s and it's like, I think people are starting to catch on and certainly a lot of um, media, because I guess sex work has been in the media quite a fair bit, like over things like tragedies. So that reporting has been held to account and people have been jumping on Twitter and correcting um, a lot of journalists. So slowly, slowly, the language is starting to become a lot more appropriate. So we are slightly getting there. Yeah, I I think sex workers just feel the persistent sense of frustration about how slow that process is. Mm. I think those sorts of processes in society are always very slow, but you would think that having had other movements where things have made, where people have made changes, Mm. you would like to think that people would go, ah, 
here's somewhere else where we need to make a change mm. and that it would be more rapid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the vehemence of the response um, from non-sex workers feeling that they have a right to fight against that change of the terminology is, yeah. what, is what surprises me. Yeah. Um, but maybe we should listen to the... Yeah, so another more recent example happened last Wednesday, actually, when the comedian Michelle Laurie was interviewed on ABC by Richard Feidler uh, to talk about her, her memoir that's coming up to be published. And she talked about her experiences working as a receptionist in a brothel in the 90s. The language that she used was perpetuating a lot of stigma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and th- there are a few sentences. We'll, we'll play one that appears courtesy of the ABC. So this is Michelle talking about, I guess, her assessment of sex workers that she had worked with, particularly sex workers who, I guess, experienced dependent drug use and, um, and what she thought of them. This is what she said. And those older junkies are the scariest humans I have ever come across Why? in my life because they're just they're in survival mode and nothing, no friendships, they have no memory for kindness, they have, they have no choice but to do whatever they have to do to get that money every day. And so if robbing me is the only way left, they'll do it. That was Michelle Laurie appearing on ABC. Sorry, apologies for the, I guess, the stigma that is present in that statement. We certainly don't endorse that. But I think we need to sort of be able to recognise incidents like these um, to be able to talk about them. So I'm wondering what you guys make um, of comments like that. Yeah, obviously that's deeply upsetting. I mean, I think it's it's important to maybe position myself in response to this. I mean, I've said before when I've been doing activist work that people often assume that the people that do activism come from a position of privilege. I began my career in street sex work. I was an injecting drug user. I am that stereotype. Mm. Um, And so I'd I'd like to speak to that. I think this sort of stigma that Michelle's trying so desperately (laughs) to... Make an enduring stigma for sex workers. It's hate speech. It's mm-hmm. hate speech against my community. I resent it tremendously. It makes me tremendously angry. It's hate speech against both sex workers and drug users mm. to typify an entire class of people as incapable of kindness Mm. is bigotry. Mm -hmm. It is the definition of bigotry. She herself is an ex-drug user. Mm -hmm. She's using it as a way of distancing herself, Mm -hmm. um, which, look, is a common thing that people do. Yeah. But, I mean, she's coming from a position of, of, as I understand it, having worked as mm-hmm. a brothel receptionist, yeah, she was there making money from sex work, mm. making money off sex workers. Mm. And to then turn around and put all this hate on the people that were providing her with an income, mm. and also I would point out they were there working, mm-hmm. doing work, and whether or not they, they were drug users, they were there working, I would assume, if they were using drugs to pay for their drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, which, look, when I was a drug user, that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So if you're working, you don't need to rob anyone. Mm. Let's point that out. Yeah, um, and, and certainly that's come up in a number of research that have like, you know, done qualitative interviews 
with street-based sex workers is often what comes up is that these are these are people who are who are doing it because they they see it as something that they're doing themselves and they're not victimizing anybody else and and yes street-based sex work in victoria is illegal but that makes it a very different crime to actually robbing someone to when you're actually victimizing somebody else absolutely i mean i was asked a question by my 15 year old niece Mm -hmm. and i think it's a really good example because my family have in the majority shunned me and my sister had spent a lot of time telling my niece that i was a junkie prostitute which look i really appreciated and i think that's a very appropriate thing to be telling a 15 year old obviously Mm. um but when my niece asked me about what my sister had been saying to her, I turned around and said, I have spent my life in the sex industry. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. And I used to have an enormous drug habit. Mm-hmm. But the drugs I took, I paid for myself. Mm. I never hurt anyone but myself. Mm. And I will never lie to you. Yeah. And my niece still loves me because I have never lied to her. Yeah. And I have never hurt her. And the only person I've ever like caused any trouble for is myself. And I, I think this this idea that sex workers and drug users are somehow, you know, nasty people, that is stigmatizing. You know who what nasty people are? Nasty people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And I, I, look, I find it particularly hurtful because having lived and worked and lived alongside and been friends with street-based sex workers and injecting drug users, to say that... That, you know, all of their morals are out the window and that they would victimise anyone for money is just a complete misrepresentation of them as well as people. And these are some of the, you know, a lot of these people I consider friends and I'm quite proud of the fact I had the opportunity to actually know these people and that made me judge them less. And, you know, for somebody who supposedly was in contact with these people, I would have expected better. I mean, this to me sounds like an angry woman who's trying to justify her life Mm. and what she's done and also trying to sell a book. Yeah. Look, somebody did take her on over her comments on that radio show and we'll hear from her when we come back from these messages. You're on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9. Radio that's out and proud. Joy. You're in the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. You're with Christian and we are speaking with Lara Bell. Hello, Lara. Hello, Christian. <laughs> we talked about finding community and solidarity, sex, strong sex worker voices and being able to connect to those. And you mm-hmm. talked about um, social media playing a part in, um, I guess, building that community. Now, you're quite prolific on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> How do you think Twitter has changed, I guess, we talked about the social context. So how do you think Twitter has changed the social context for sex workers? I think really amazing in the way that it humanises us, which is a really important thing because sex work is seen, I guess, as the other. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much of this, I'm not like them, they're different to me. They, they, you know, as, as a big group. But through social media, sex workers can be seen as an individual person. We can have a voice to present ourselves in any way feel comfortable to do. And I really value that. And it also lets me, you know, just put myself out there mm-hmm. and sort of express who I am. And people can see me at for the human being that I am. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because I mean, so Lara, you're quite active on Twitter and you were saying before how sex work isn't just a job, like it is a part of your identity. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that you've used Twitter sort of kind of reflects that, like, you know, you just, you talk about, you know, pretty normal 
everyday kind of things. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you could describe the humanising effect that Twitter has for sex workers, because I think this is quite a unique opportunity that has mm. recently developed in the past few years. I'm wondering if you could talk about it for a little bit. Well, it, it is really unique in the way that we're able to present ourselves in a way that we're comfortable with, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is great because we're so often represented in the media in a way that we're not at all comfortable with or <laughs> not accurate or that's stigmatising or whatever. Mm-hmm. And using social media is a way of showing ourselves to be human and yeah. people and as opposed to having sex workers seen as, as the other, it, it enables us to be part of sort of wider community and can show our personality, we can show things we're interested in and, and we become just another person. Mm. Absolutely. And you talked about, you know, being presented in a way that sex workers aren't comfortable with or that is stigmatising. And um, and recently you were sort of involved in a bit of a scuffle, stoush, I don't know, <laughs> an interaction. Um <laughs> with, with somebody who is, I, I guess, you know, quite famous, um, who presented sex work in that sort of stigmatising way. So that was the comedian Michelle Laurie appeared on ABC on Richard Feidler's show. Yeah. And during that interview, she, she said some things that were quite stigmatising. I'm wondering, as a sex worker, when you hear things like that, what does it feel like? What's the impact for you? When I heard what Michelle said during that interview and what I actually said to her when Mm -hmm. I interacted with her was that I felt like I was being stabbed, (laughs) which is kind of sounds dramatic, but it it really, I I felt really hurt by Mm -hmm. the words that she used. And I guess, you know, you and I and and other sex workers see or read or hear or whatever these sort of things now and then. (laughs) And yeah, it can be really, really hurtful, but it also makes me really mad because (laughs) Because it's just not true. Mm. And when I hear things that are just patently inaccurate, I, I just, I feel like I need to say something. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that it's it's not necessarily someone's fault if they have an idea of what sex work is, if it's out of their experience or mm-hmm. or whatever else, but they can choose to hear the voice of, of people with experience yeah. who, do, who do know the reality of it. So. Yeah, I thought it was important to kind of call her out a little bit on that. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, Twitter is an amazing way to do that because all yeah. of a sudden you're able to interact with the person directly. Um, exactly. I'm wondering what that process was like because, I mean, it's quite a confronting thing to, you know, come up to a person who, you know, is famous and they have profile and to actually call them out and say, hey, I think you did something wrong there. What did that – what was that like for you? Well, I kind of thought about it a little bit before I did it and I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to be aggressive or anything like that. I don't think that gets you anywhere anyway, even if you might feel like <laughs> saying a few things, you, you know, you, you need to be measured in your approach. So I kind of just sort of said, look, I think what you said was really inaccurate and it was hurtful and mm-hmm. disappointing to hear those, those words said. And I was a bit surprised by her reaction, I guess. Yeah. So what did she say in response to that? She she basically said that, that, well, that was her experience and that sort of, yeah, it was her truth. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's your truth, but not the actual truth. Yeah. Which I strongly believe is true. Yeah. She basically tried to dismiss you on Twitter, but she kind of kept going, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She, she told me that I was in denial mm-hmm. and that I needed to deal with it. And that was the most offensive thing I think that she said yeah, to wow. me during the whole thing. Mm. Um, and it was because it, it really, it just discounted me 
and my experience. It's like saying that everything that I um, that I've experienced and learnt and you know been in the last thirteen years mm. is, is meaningless. Yeah, which and is- I think to discount someone's reality and their experiences is really not yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you'd think somebody who was, you know, in, involved in the media, who is, I mean, she's a bit more left field, Yeah, would know better than to sort of invalidate somebody else's experience like that. Yes, and I think that, yeah, you tend to sort of expect that from people that are a little bit more liberal, small L. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that they will sort of, um, I guess, embrace the spectrum of people's experience and give give it some gravity. and yeah. And validation, but yeah, I found that was really hurtful. Yeah, yeah, and really disappointing. I tried to point out that I, that in my years in the industry, I wouldn't describe sex workers in the way that she had. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I felt that, that you know, deriding an entire subgroup of people using stigmatizing language on you know on a national radio show is, is just crazy. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, for um, me, for yeah. me, for me, when I heard when I heard that interview, it was kind of like I just thought. If anybody else had been described in that way, yeah, and and that was the way that you spoke about other people, and you know, based on an experience that you may have had, no one mm. else would tolerate it, and exactly. and the radio station would immediately sort of pull that in a bit. But for yeah. sex workers, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and that was one of the things that really got me going because I mm-hmm. thought you wouldn't say, well, you know, all people of this race are dot 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 or. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be torn apart. You, you just, you're not allowed to say that. And I would mm-hmm. love to see a day where you're not allowed to say that about us either. Yeah. Because it's just, it's the same. It's not only sort of unfair and, and offensive, but it's just silly. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, and, and it's interesting because people quite often talk about, you know, freedom of speech and, you know, they're only mm-hmm. sharing an opinion and it's based on their experience and, you know, it, it's okay to do that. But I think one of the interactions that you've experienced is that when a famous person does it, it, it doesn't just stick with it. Like, you know, that person may have had that experience and they're sharing an opinion based on that. But then mm-hmm. what happens is it gives permission to other people to start, I guess, stigmatising sex workers. Um, mm, and and exactly. that that happened through Twitter as well, didn't it? Yeah. Um, one of Michelle's followers attacked me <laughs> and and said nobody cares what hookers think or something like that and yeah. went on. And, yeah, it reinforces those beliefs in people when you hear anyone, but particularly somebody on the radio saying the types of things that were said. Mm. And it's not okay, and you can say, well, that's my experience, but it's not okay to, to perpetuate stigma against a group that is already sort of marginalised. And you, you just, yeah, it's just not okay to, to say that. And, and you do need to back up your comments with facts or justification in some way, mm. I think. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Mm. So where to from here? Like th- there seems to be, there seems to have been quite a, a reaction. So h- how has, I guess, the community reacted to your little <laughs> conversation with Michelle there? <laughs> well, it kind of exploded <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and um, I was planning on going to bed, but <laughs> that didn't happen. So yeah, it just went a little bit uh, wild and lots of people got involved. And I think, you know, there was a, a bit of blocking that went on and some people were pretty, seemed to be pretty angry mm-hmm. and I can understand that. 
absolutely. But yeah, it, it, it went a little bit insane. But um, but that's what happens. I think mm. that's one of the, in a way, it's the benefit of social media because it does get the message out there. People people see what's going on, and then people can also have the voice and stand up and participate in saying that it's not okay. This is not all right to happen. Mm. And and I really I think it's important that there's that platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like as you were saying before, because you can interact with someone directly. It does give you that. You know, you have a medium to actually communicate with with somebody that in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Whereas previously that just didn't exist. Exactly. Mm. I mean, maybe you'd write a letter or two <laughs> <laughs> and nobody would pay any attention yeah. to it and that would be it. That's and right. So, yeah, it gives us a chance to, to sort of stand up and, and argue the point back mm. <laughs> a little bit, Yeah, which happens now with the media, media articles with comments attached. And Yeah, look, it has changed to be a lot more, I guess, interactive, which has facilitated some really amazing arguments over... <laughs> recent times but but the other thing that it's done and and certainly the way that you know I got to learn about about the interaction was that social media did provide the opportunity as you said before to have community solidarity and support so it was a really interesting awareness raising exercise because you could actually ask your community for help in this area absolutely absolutely and and on top of that as well I was really lucky to to receive some really lovely messages of support Mm -hmm. and some were from colleagues, some of from my clients, some of from people I've never met before who were just on Twitter. And, you know, I got a text message from a lovely client who kind of was similarly outraged and, mm. and commented that he'd not had that experience yeah. himself with sex work and, um, in the industry. And, and that was really lovely as well. So it kind of draws that out of people to support each other and be there for one another when things can get a little bit fiery. So, yeah, yeah that was really, really lovely. Yeah. Do you th- do you think it sort of gave the opportunity to people who may never have experienced whorephobia before, who may not even be sex workers, to actually see what it looks like? And do you think you got support from there? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I think it's easy for people who aren't involved in the industry or who don't think about whorephobia the way that we do to not really notice it. And mm-hmm. it just kind of, you know, goes along and washes over them. But as you were saying before, it does or it can contribute to those sort of entrenched beliefs in people. Mm-hmm. But when they see somebody react to it and they read how somebody has felt hearing those things or they see the reactions of other people coming in and they see, well, this is why it's offensive or this is why it's actually is not accurate or they can kind of see it from our side. Yeah. So they kind of get a, a broader presentation of, of the impact of those types of comments, mm-hmm. which I think is really good. Yay. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, Larabelle, we have run out of time. Mm-hmm. It's been absolutely amazing having you here on the Vixen Hour. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. It's been divine speaking to you. <laughs> Thank you. You're on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. A diverse sound for a diverse crowd. Joy 94.9. A voice for sex workers. The Vixen Hour. On Joy 94.9. You are listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. I would like to thank the fabulous Lara Bell for joining us, albeit not in the studio at the moment. She does live in New South Wales. So <laughs> thank you for being part of the show. It was an absolutely amazing experience to hear from. We have received a few text messages. Hi, Vixens. Great to hear you on the air. Wondering if you have any tips for Melbourne Fringe. I actually haven't had an opportunity to check out the Melbourne Fringe program but there's always lots of really amazing stuff there so i recommend checking it out there's always 
heaps of really good stuff. Um, we also had a text message from Moira. Let me read this out. So come on, folks. I listened to the Michelle Laurie interview and she was referring to a fringe group, not all sex workers. It's misleading to state that all sex workers are great and happy people and no sex worker would commit crime. They are no different from all other people in different careers. There are drug-free and drug-addicted people in the community. Better to acknowledge and accept this as opposed to whitewashing reality. I have someone close to me who is a sex worker who I love, but drug use makes them behave badly and selfishly at times. No kindness. Love the show as always. Cheers, Moira. Thanks for your text message, Moira. I think, um, I mean, you, you spoke about drug use and sex work. Jane, did you want to respond to yeah, that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how getting on air and outing myself as a having a background in street sex work as an IV drug using sex worker is whitewashing reality. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to point that out for a start. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any of us in giving a broad show that's a cross-representation of the diversity of sex worker experience is whitewashing anything. Mm-hmm. And I, while I'm pleased to know that you know one sex worker, I don't think you can extrapolate from that to uh, represent the diversity of sex worker experience when you yourself are not a sex worker. Yeah, and look, and look, I, I agree with one thing that she says, and that is that sex workers are just like everybody else. Absolutely. And there are people who do use drugs in all different types of jobs. And I think what you said before we spoke to Lara actually hit it on the head. There's, there's bad behaviour and then there's intoxication or dependent use. But the two things are not the same thing. And certainly... They're they're absolutely different. Mm. And I think people need to understand that everyone is responsible for their behaviour or should be responsible for their behaviour. But drug use or drug dependence is separate from bad behaviour. It's as simple as that. And we're certainly not saying it doesn't happen or the two don't happen at the same time because certainly they do. They can, but they're not inextricably linked. Yeah, no, not all the time. And look, certainly we've covered drug use and sex work on the Vixen Hour on a previous show. And And can I point out if they were inextricably linked, then Michelle Laurie would have been one of the people that was the problem because let's point out, she says in her book that, well, she certainly says in her interview about the book that she was a drug user at the time. Mm that she was working at the um, the brothel in question. So she was one of the people that mm. she's talking about, whether she realises it or not. Yeah. She's trying to separate that in her head, but she is one of the people she was talking about. She was a drug user working in the sex industry. Mm-hmm. The distinction she's making is that she was on one side of the counter rather than the other. Yeah. And that's a very thin line. Yeah. And certainly I think what we are, look, we are talking about stigma, and I guess the potential for media to perpetuate that stigma. And certainly one of those things, one of the things that Michelle did was, you know, based on her experience, she says based on her experience, this is this is the opinion that she's formed. But it's it's exactly that. It's only based on her experience. What And what I guess we do through the Vixen Hour is provide an opportunity for sex workers to share their experience. And a lot of the opinions that we share and that we talk about on the air are, are informed by our experience as sex workers. And I think what Michelle has done, and certainly what has happened in, in, in a lot of examples up until this point, is that people have have this one experience that they've had with a sex worker, and Moira's talked about one herself there, 
and it does get extrapolated out to all sex workers because people traditionally haven't had the opportunity to hear from a diverse range of sex workers. And I think a lot of what we try to do when we address stigma is show actually there is a whole diversity of experiences out there. And um, that's why we have a radio show. Absolutely. <laughs> that's why we bring a diverse range of voices to the air and also why we talk about these issues. And We've actually had, we've put a few examples together of how sex workers have been able to share their experiences to challenge that stigma. So did we want to talk about some of the things that have come up in the past? So there have been a few salient examples. There was a TV program <laughs> that was supposed uh, to go ahead. The inf- Well, it did actually go ahead. The infamous hooker makeover. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this was an American um, television program put out by World of Wonder, which was actually the show that put out RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, a really good example of individual sex worker action online through social media achieving uh, a tremendous result and achieving it really quickly. Uh, The show, I actually became aware of the show around the end of June this year. Hmm. And as I mentioned before, I run um, Sex Work Stigma, uh, which is the Twitter account about my media project. And I tweeted about it because, look, I was actually, I'm trying not to use profanity, although apparently there are certain swear words I can use here. (laughs) Um, I was really... Don't get me in trouble. No. um, I was really horrified. Uh, Like, one, like it didn't sound like a really good idea from the name, so I got online on YouTube and watched a few episodes and like I had to go outside and smoke and like swear a bit. My flatmate's cat was a bit worried about me. Mm-hmm. So what was the premise of the show? The premise of the show, because you could get a few different ideas from the, from the title, was that they were getting people off Hollywood Boulevard mm-hmm. in um, LA, uh, just random people, women. Mm-hmm. And they were dragging them into the sh- shop and dressing them, uh, telling them they were going to get a makeover, and they weren't telling them what time. Mm-hmm. They were dressing them up as, um, and I think I'm, I'm quoting them from the show, as skanky as possible. Mm-hmm. And then they were telling them when they finished the makeover, surprise, you are now hooker. Mm. We're going to send you back out onto Hollywood Boulevard, and you get money, you get 10 American dollars for every car that honks at you while you do provocative things to try and get the cars to honk at you. Plus, every time you answer a trivia question about hookers Mm. in the movies and stuff, we'll give you another $10. Oh, dear. And during the show, like, and it's a short sort of um, 10, 15 minute show because it was designed to be broadcast through one of their online channels um, on YouTube and stuff, they'd put up these hooker facts. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to give you an idea of what these hooker facts were, I've got a couple of them here. One of them was hooker tips, rather. Hooker tip 98, make sure to wash your clothes after, after every shift. Yeah, because we'd forget otherwise because we're <laughs> dirty. Oh, thank God there's a tip. <laughs> otherwise, we wouldn't know. Oh, um, TV. <laughs> yeah. And uh, hooker tip 11, if you're down for anything, then you'll make more money. Oh, dear. Yeah, because we don't have any boundaries. So it was just incredibly toxic. Mm. And what happened was... What was the response? (laughs) Surprisingly, sex workers didn't like it. Uh And um, there's my account and there's also the whorephobia account on Twitter. And Mm -hmm. I sent out a thing saying, look... 
we have to do something about this because this is sick and mm. really, really fucked. And um, Whorephobia picked it up and um, the person that, uh, one of the people that runs Whorephobia, which is um, Jim, who's um, not a happy hooker on, um, and look, she wasn't that day, on Twitter. <laughs> um we started tweeting about it, um, and that went on for a day or so, and then like I, I think lay down and put a bag on my head. And between the thirtieth of June and the second of July, enough sex work, individual sex workers hmm. motivated action on Twitter and joined with the queer community mm-hmm. because that was the audience of World of Wonder, which yeah. is the channel because there's a lot of crossover between queer community mm-hmm. and sex work community and the show was cancelled yeah. and World of Wonder put out an apology yeah. and I think it's a very significant thing that individual sex workers working on their own through social media got a television show cancelled yeah. in three days it's incredible. And I think like a lot of the discussion that was happening at the time was very much linking it to the stigma, the discrimination and the victimization that both the, you know, that both the queer community and particularly the trans community had experienced. Absolutely. And saying that it was exactly the same thing. And like, you know, if, if, if this show was about, oh, we're going to make over you as like, you know, the most effeminate gay person ever and we're going to see like what reactions you would elicit there would be backlash (laughs) absolutely outrage in a similar way so again how we expect sex workers to tolerate that when other people wouldn't is exactly the same kind of deal we have had another message from hannah hey christian listening to you in bed with my gross cold slash flu i'll get well soon i crashed hannah's show this morning (laughs) uh Awesome that you're texting in. Interesting listening to your topic tonight after hearing Amanda Palmer use stigmatizing language last week. And I think she was talking about how um, Amanda Palmer was talking about sex work at the Big Sound Festival, um, which is a whole other topic, (laughs) which we didn't have time to talk about tonight. Yes, the sex working community does have a love-hate relationship with Amanda Palmer, particularly after that song that she put out that we don't really like that's about us. Anyway, you are listening to The Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. If you would like to stay connected to us all throughout the week, we are on social media, and that is um, at facebook.com forward slash sexworkerradio. Uh, we're also on Twitter, so you can follow us at Vixen Hour. We'll be back after these messages to say goodnight. You're on the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. I'm Dr. Brooke Mignanti, formerly known as Belle du Jour, and you're listening to the Vixen Hour on Joy 94.9. Joy 94.9. Listen to us right around the nation. Joy 94.9. You have been listening to the Vixen Hour here on Joy 94.9. You've been Christian and I've... You've been with Christian. You haven't been Christian. I've been Christian. <laughs> you have been joined by Jane and Anastasia. Thanks, guys, for being in the studio and being part of this awesome show. Always a pleasure. Always so much to talk about and never enough time to cover it all. I do want to thank um, Moira and Hannah for texting in. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas. If you would like to stay connected with the Vixen Hour all throughout the week, you can do so by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash sexworkerradio. Uh, yes, but we will catch you back here again. 9pm on a Monday night It's been awesome hanging out with you We'll be on the Vixen Hour Here on Joy 94.9 Thank you for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9 Thanks for listening to another Joy Podcast Brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation 
joy. Help us keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.